Hello and welcome to the Try Talking Sport podcast hosted by me, Joanne Murphy. Whether you are an athlete, adventurer, endurance enthusiast or simply have an interest in sport, you have come to the right place for inspiration, encouragement, motivation and as always, plenty of entertainment. It's race week in Galway. Horse racing, not triathlon racing. The city is buzzing and it's busier than usual. I had the pleasure of emceeing the first furlong event at the Ardalon Hotel as part of their Galway Races programme of events. The lunch supported the National Breast Cancer Research Institute, a fabulous afternoon filled with fun and pure giddiness. I think that's the word I need to use to describe the general excitement and atmosphere around the place at the moment, giddiness. It was so lovely to get the hair done, put on a nice dress. I managed to walk around in heels for a few hours but it was great to just ditch the shorts, the t-shirt and runners for the afternoon. Away from the Galway races, the Ironman 70.3 Swansea on August 7th is quickly approaching and the bumper festival of triathlon in Cork on August 13th and 14th for Ironman Ireland is coming around super fast. I really can't wait for both of these weekends of triathlon and yes, I am definitely giddy for both of these events. If you are racing in Swansea or Cork, please do get in touch. In the meantime, be sure to check out the live webinar I'm hosting for Ironman Ireland next Tuesday, the 2nd of August at 7.30pm. You can find all the details and register on www.trytalkingsport.com. I'll be chatting with Ironman Ireland race director John Walnut, the 2019 Ironman Ireland female winner Emma Billum and multiple national triathlon champion Hilary Hughes. The session is open to everyone to join and should be filled full of insight and inspiration. So be sure to sign up, especially if you are racing in Cork with us. Now, before I forget, a quick shout out to the Galway Gravel Grinder taking place on August 27th and to Dublin City Triathlon taking place on August 28th. I'll be at both events, the Gravel Grinder as a participant on the 65k route and at DCT as the race announcer. You can find out more about each event and sign up to take part over on our website www.trytalkingsport.com. It's going to be a busy few weeks of events ahead. Speaking of events, congratulations to everyone who took part in the Francis Thornton Galway Bay Swim recently. Over 120 swimmers, both solos and relays, took on the challenge of swimming from Clare to Galway. A 10k or a 13k crossing, depending on how you navigated the route. It was a glorious day in Galway for the swim. Although the tide made it hard work at times for the swimmers, they all came home in one piece. I had the opportunity for the very first time to go out in the safety boat on the day in the middle of the bay. It was super cool to see the boats and swimmers make their way across the bay firsthand. Being on the shore to welcome the swimmers home was such a special occasion. I see lots of raw emotion on the Ironman finish line, which is always very special. However, this was another level of emotion, with many swimmers taking on the challenge to raise funds for Cancer Care West due to their own personal connection with the charity. Each swimmer welcomed to Black Rock Diving Tower by the immediate and extended family of Francis Thornton. Our final finisher on the day had us all in tears when he reached the tower. A very special day all around. I managed to find a bit of a swimming mojo myself recently and no, I won't be swimming the bay anytime soon. But yes, I finally got back into the sea and have done a few proper swims the last couple of weeks instead of just splashing and faffing in the water, which is fun too. But it felt really good to actually swim. Now, the distances are nothing to write home about, but I am slowly building back up the distance in skins from 500 metres to 700 metres, and I'm hoping it won't be long until I'm back up to over 2k and beyond. Speaking of going long, I took a notion last Friday to do a 100k spin on the bike for my birthday. 
Yeah, not sure it was the best idea. However, it was my first long spin since April. It took me until Sunday to recover, but I was buzzing after it. The glorious weather, the fantastic company of Karen, Jackie and Adrian, the tasty treats out Nuke Gerard. It was just fabulous. I had such a great spin and I really enjoyed it. Thankfully, I had a stash of Nuasan CBD muscle gel to put on my legs, which helped to speed up the recovery. If you fancy trying out their products, check them out on www.newasan.com and use the code TTS15 to get a 15% discount on their product range. If you have used the products, please drop me a line. I'd love to know how you're getting on with them and what you think of them. So now to this week's episode with Gabriel Walsh, an active member of Galway Triathlon Club, who, after a few years of working away from home and away from sport, got cajoled into taking up triathlon, which has taken him on a journey that has seen him race multiple triathlons, complete Ironman Barcelona and the Galway Bay Swim. In recent years, his passion and interest in sport has moved from triathlon specifically to gravel biking, exploring and bikepacking. Gabriel's curiosity and fascination with exploring and adventure has seen him take on an Arctic Circle expedition as well as an epic 3,200km cycling adventure on the Eurovelo this year. His enthusiasm and can-do attitude along with his genuine interest in people and helping them succeed will have you signing up to your own adventure before you have time to say the words freedom and fun. Humble in his approach, taking adversity in his stride, he is one of the good guys. And if you are planning to take your own adventure or to step outside your comfort zone to achieve something you previously thought impossible, then this episode might just be the one to encourage you to go and find your own self-confidence and the belief in yourself that you can do anything you set your mind to. Now, go grab a cuppa and enjoy the show. Gabriel Walsh from Galway Tri Club, welcome to the podcast, a chance meeting at Black Rock in Salt Hill and a quick chat. And here you are on the podcast. Joanne, how are you? How are you doing? I'm not too bad. And um, did you ever think you'd be doing a podcast with me, Gabriel Walsh? I didn't. No, I honestly didn't. I wouldn't be one for listening to many podcasts as it is. So to find myself on one uh, is definitely um, a change for me. There's one thing that we have in common, other than we both love sport and triathlon, is that we both can talk for Ireland. And you probably talk twice as much as I do. So that's a massive feat in itself, really, when you think about it. I don't know about that now. Like, I mean, I, I've been told that, but, uh, you know, like there isn't much proof in it. But you look at it, we'll see how the podcast goes and maybe uh, maybe I'll prove that wrong. Uh, maybe it'll be a three-part podcast instead of one episode. Oh, I'd, I'd recommend it. I'd recommend it, yeah. <laughs> so, Gabriel, um, for people who won't know you, um, lots of people in Galway will know you because you're um, an Ironman athlete completing Ironman Barcelona. You've also done the Galway Bay Swim. But most recently, you've fallen in love with gravel biking and you're also a member of the Galway Mountain Rescue Team. And you have recently returned from an Arctic Circle expedition, which took place earlier in the year, but you've also just completed various aspects of the Velo route, taking four and a half weeks to cycle about 3,200 kilometres, which was an adventure in itself. So I'm not really sure where we'll start with the chat, Gabriel, other than maybe ask you, have you always been sporty or was this something that you took up in later life? Took up a lot of stuff in later life. Like growing up in my Cullen, I was mainly just hurling football because that's what was around, you know, a uh, little bit of basketball at school and that kind of stuff, but nothing really we're talking about, but mainly hurling football. And I played hurling football till I was 25. I was no county star, but I was, I was, uh, you know, I was able to hold my own, you know, then we say at 25, then I went off traveling. Then I was gone away for 
a couple of years. I was actually going away for six years. So that's when the f- hurling of football kind of stopped. I did a little bit of cycling, but like it wouldn't be much. It'd be just a case of like cycling from my Cullen to Spiddle just to go over for a swim in the beach and then cycle home again. But like, you know, very, very little. T- 20 or 30 kilometers was kind of the most I'll ever be doing, you know, uh, cycling, but mainly hurling football up to 25. So then I, yeah, kind of, I moved away from home then. I was gone away for six years at work and uh, was kind of spending like half the year here, half the year in Australia. So uh, it was a busy place I was working for and didn't give me much time to do much sport. But like any kind of chance I'd off, I'd go, you know, I'd go off there hiking maybe, you know, I was living in Tipperary for half the year. So I used to be kind of hiking on the Galtee Mountains or a bit of mountain biking and stuff, you know, but nothing crazy, nothing major, just a couple hours just to, you know, just get the head away from work for a while, you know, and that was it. Moved home then 2012. And then I was kind of like, oh, do you know what? Maybe I'll go back down and play football again. But you're at, I went down to the pitch and all the young lads that was in my Cullen before I left are now big lads. And uh, the, <laughs> I'd say that there was there was no chance of me making the team anyway, you know. But like, but but you know what? I actually, I kind of nearly lost the graw for hurling football because like, uh, you know, being away for a while, it was kind of a case. I've kind of lost the graw for playing it, but I wouldn't mind just, just maybe just staying on the sideline now for a while, you know. So at that point then, a cousin of mine was getting married. And uh, he was into triathlons and everything. He was always asking me, oh, you should, you should do one, you should do one, you know. And I was like, sure, I haven't got time for that. And one, I couldn't swim either, you know. So I remember the day after his wedding anyway, he was saying, he goes, oh, look, we're organizing a triathlon there up in uh, in Westmead. Like, you should do it, you know. It's it's only a sprint. It's handy. Like, it's just 750-meter swim and a 20K cycle and a 5K run. And I was like, so like, cycle and run, no bother. But the swim, I was like, there's no way I can swim 750 meters. And then... Uh, but sure, look at after a few drinks anyway, I, I kind of went, yeah, sure, look at I'll give it a go. And he was telling me how easy it is anyway. So I was like, yeah, sure, I'll give it a go. And the following day, then he rang me, then he kind of goes, you agreed to that yesterday, didn't you? And I said, oh, yeah, I did. So I literally just, uh, I agreed to it. So I said, right, I have to learn how to swim. And I like up to that point, I was only really able to, able to breaststroke. So I was at home and I was on YouTube looking at how to master the how to breathe while swimming. Because I was the kind of one, I go into the pool and I nearly hold my breath just to get to the other end of the pool, you know. But um. I had six weeks in to basically learn how to swim and I kind of had my head right. Well, there's no walls to be kicking off in the lake like we're going to do the swim like. So I said, I have to be prepared to be able to swim a thousand meters in the pool if I'm going to be able to do 750 undisturbed in the lake, you know. So um, I had basically six weeks to do it and uh, it was a case of like, watching YouTube clips and how to, where to put your hand in the water and how to breathe and all this and like, you know, basically bamboozling myself and stuff. But I went into the pool anyway and go away, signed up for membership and I just started self-training myself, you know. Anyway, the day comes, first time ever putting on a wetsuit. My cousin gave me a loan of his and put it on and went off and done it. And I remember just getting out of the water looking back and I was like, I'm not the last one out of here. And I was delighted. Like, I don't even ask me what time I did, but I just know I get out of the water and I was like, geez, I'm not the last one. This is great. And I went off and did the rest of it then. I flew around the rest of it, you know, and it was grand. So then I was kind of going like, do you know what? Now I like this, you know, it's kind of a, it's a bit of a change from, you know, from the other, the rest of the sports I've been doing, you know? So yeah. So then I, that was, um, that was 2012. So then like, so, so then it was in the, the end of 2012. So 2013, then I joined the Galway Tri Club. And kind of since then, I've just, you know, the first year, like, obviously I met a lovely gang in the, in, in the, in the club, like, and we're all just doing a few of the local tries and that. So like for the next couple of years, I was just doing like your various kind of distances, you know, from your sprints to Olympics and that, you know, 
that was it. I just I, I was enjoying it. I remember the first year. I forget. I remember I done a load of triathlons. I was doing one nearly every month. Do you know what I mean? I was kind of going. There could be one in Westport. There could be one in Innes. There was one in Limerick. There was, you know, I was just doing. We really got into it. A gang of us there. You know. But the thing is, it was all about the weekend away. Like we were basically like we'd we'd go to Kilkenny for a weekend and we do a triathlon. You know, like it was just an excuse of a night out. Like and that's the way it was. And um, it was great. Like we were kind of went from zero to hero. A few of us there like the first year. You know. But um, then after like kind of a year or two, then we kind of said right, start looking at kind of at the bigger things you know where, you, where you'd be like training for six months for like a half Ironman or something or more or whatever and uh, the Galway Bay swim then was kind of on my my target as well because I seen people like I think it was in 2014 was the first time I ever actually was in, in Salt Hill to watch it so I said to myself do you know what I seen people come out of the water and I said like I said do you know like I can do that so uh, yeah, 2015, and then I just um, I did the Galway Bay swim and uh, loved it. I actually loved training for it. I actually gave everything else a bit, a little bit of a backseat because I was kind of afraid of like, you know, uh, well, one not being able to do it and have to be pulled out of the water. So I literally just kind of gave it. A, I went full bore on on the swim in that time and I kind of just took it easy in the cycling and running, you know. And uh, yeah, so did the Galway Bay swim. That was what 13k coming across the bay there on uh, 2015. So when that was done, then I was kind of back to the triathlons again. And, you know, like kind of doing the you, the likes of your Olympic distance one in Hell of the West and that. And again, my cousin then basically Jacqueline got on the phone to me and he says, uh, "Hey, do you want to do an Ironman?" And I was like, "Not a chance." And then uh, his brother Pierce got on to me. And he was like, "Sure, look it." And he said, "The swim is not bothered here." Sure, look at the cycles are bothered you. And I was like, yeah, but run the marathon. The end. And I did a marathon previous and I was just, I was destroyed on it, you know. But um, he's like, look at, he said, can you do 10K in an hour? And I said, I can, yeah. And he goes, just do four 10Ks. And, and that's a four hour marathon. He goes, if you can do that, he said, that's, you know. And I was like, do you know what? When you look at it that way, sign me up. So I signed up for the Barcelona then. And um, the three of us basically trained for Ironman Barcelona. That was 2017. And it actually, like, you know, because because I had a great group of people to train with here in uh, in Galway as well, like, you know, like, we had great fun actually training for, like, nine months before it or whatever it was. But, like, on the day, it actually wasn't that hard at all because we'd all the kind of, you know, the hard miles done, you know. So that was Ironman Barcelona in 2017. And then, um, I suppose, in from 18 then came around then, and there was a few here in my column uh, who were going up to the Galway Wind Park on their gravel bikes. And uh, I was kind of looking at them, and no, no, I just had a mountain bike, so I kind of said, "I should go up there for, uh, you know, for a spin with them, you know." And then it was kind of coming into the winter then as well, and you don't want to be on the road bike on, in the winter and stuff like that, like. But it was great just to get off the main, off the roads, and get up into the off roads, you know. And um, slowly, I was getting more into it, more into it, and then, sure, then all of a sudden, I was down to the bike shop and I was buying the gravel bike, and uh, they were all going over to. Um, all this gang were going over to Northumberland over in England in the UK to do an event. And uh, they were saying, oh, you should come, like, you should come. You'd be well able for it, like, you know. And so it was 130K of a gravel cycling race. Uh, and it's like, again, it's out in the middle of nowhere. It's in the Kielder National Forest. It was a beautiful area. But I mean, when you're, from once you leave the start line, you're out in the middle of nowhere and you're self-supported. I mean, you're carrying all your food and water, GPS, all this kind of stuff. And, like emergency blankets and everything because like you know conditions change when you go up into those mountains like you know so um we started training for that and i went over and i did that and uh fairly green going into it now but i loved it it was definitely tougher than any ironman you'll ever do but by god it was brilliant when, when we crossed the line all, like all of us when, when i say all of us we crossed different times because once it started we just did our own thing you know 
brilliant event. And then came back here then to Ireland and again, I was like, right, looking for the Irish ones, you know. So uh, there's a great one, the Lakelander from Anna. We did that one. That was brilliant. And there's a gravel grind west in Westport. And uh, now that they're organizing a one right on my doorstep, the Galway gravel grinder is going to be in August here in my Cullen. So, um, yeah, so I kind of got really into the uh, into the gravel grinding, you know. And um, it was, to know what, it was a saviour during COVID times because there's a forest here right beside me. And I was able to just go out on the bike and it's the best isolation you can get from anywhere. Like no one is near you and you just go off there on your bike, you know. And um, whereas like you didn't want to be on the roads near people or whatever, like, you know. So like the gravel bikes were just absolutely brilliant. And you know what? I thought I knew my Cullen. Well, I I didn't when I, because there's so many by roads I was never down that you wouldn't go down with a road bike. But when you have the gravel bike, you'll go down anywhere. And I found out more roads and more people and found out where people lived and everything and you name it. And it's it's great. It's, you know, so that has been my little outlet. And and even though like, you know, you're cycling maybe at a slower pace and all that, but you're going up hills and stuff. I have got so much stronger because now I know like when I go out on the road bike with people, I'm able to keep up with people I used to keep up with before, you know, and I definitely found myself way more stronger and um and more endurance, absolutely more endurance. Like I, I can keep going for longer now, you know. So it, it was a great way to mix up my road cycling and gravel biking. But uh, did I go on a bit there, Joanne? Did no, I... <laughs> you actually weren't too bad, really. I was trying to get in there with a question for about the last seven minutes. But I said, I just let you keep going because um, you had me intrigued. Uh, kind of listening back to um, to all the stuff you had done, I'd forgotten about the the trip you took over to um, to England and yeah. that race that you did. It seems to me you have a bit of a rubber arm. Somebody says to you, "Ara, come on, you be grand, you can do it," and then the next thing uh, you do it. So the Try and V race, Ironman Barcelona, and then uh, the the race over in in the UK, which is always a good way to be, though, isn't it? Because it sounds to me like you're just filled full of excitement for adventure. Well, yeah, there's, yes, a little bit of a rubber arm, but also I wouldn't make a, I'd, I'd make, as you say, like an educated decision or a calculated decision. Like I would calculate the answer before I'd say it, you know, like I'd look into it, like when you break it down, things are very, very doable, you know, you know, and I've, and I've learned over the years, like as well, that like, you know, that, you know, it's not as bad as what you think, like, you know, like when you, when you break it down, like when you're not trying to win something, you're going to do it. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, you know, like I'm only trying to beat myself out there. Like I'm not trying to beat anybody else, you know? So, yeah. And, and I think as well, um, your cousin who said it's only uh, four 10 Ks, you know, you can do that when you start to break down the big elephant into smaller chunks, it does make things seem a little bit more achievable. Yeah. Cause like, I mean, like, at that time, well, we say I probably wouldn't do it now, but at, at that time I'd be trying to do a 10 K in 40 minutes. So the way he was telling me, like, can you do it in an hour? And I'm like, of course I can. And he says, just do four of them. And I was like, four hours, you know what I mean? I was like, yeah, do you know what? We, we look at it that way. Whereas if he didn't say that, I probably wouldn't have looked at that way. You know, your fitness level must've been fairly good though, to begin with, to be able to kind of just uh, step into the pool and, and do the swimming and, and learn how to uh, learn how to swim and then to take on the, the 20k bike and the 5k run but your fitness level you must have a good level of endurance to be able to just take on these challenges now I know that you do quite a bit of training now and you have a bit of free time to get some training in but if you think of other people who are starting out maybe in their triathlon journey or maybe contemplating doing something like what you've done across the the velo route or the expedition or Ironman what piece of advice would you give to people well I suppose it's uh, like we've just mentioned there, like just break things down. Like, you know, like, you know, whether you're doing a try, a try or a sprint, or whatever that like, you know, just break things down and just say, I have to do a swim and just do that. You know what I mean? And, and that's it. You know, then come out of the water and go, 
I'm now through the cycle. And again, if you're not trying to win it, just just get through it. Now, again, I know with me, it probably takes a bit of ignorance. There's, there's a lot of uh, a lot of times you just kind of I just don't stop. I just keep going. I, you know, I might slow down, but I just keep going. Like you know, but it does it does take a bit of grit, right? Like in in these things. Like, and I do know going back to the gravel grind and thing and stuff like some of the conditions we went out in and i mean there was you wouldn't put anything out in it and we went out in it and it just like you know freezing and hail you name it like you know especially when you're up in the mountains and you just again a little bit of grit and you'll keep going and you know you come back in from it and then you just have a hot shower it's all over it's done and you feel great then you know but there is a little bit of ignorance you know what i mean like and if you know you just have to kind of just go out and do it, you know. Bit of, bit of stubbornness rather than ignorance, really. I That's think. yeah, 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 yeah. Bit of stubborn, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I wouldn't be stubborn now, uh, Joanne. No. <laughs> I don't know now about that. Um, but actually, what's quite funny as well, Gabriel, is I had been gravel biking with Pat Duran for a little bit way before COVID, and he brought me up to the wind farm. But it was only the earlier part of this year where I was thinking, gosh, I really think I want to get back into maybe trying out gravel properly. And I know that Eve and, and Steph have their gravel bikes, and I could see the other girls doing some of it as well and it was your gravel bike that we went out on that Monday morning yeah, yeah, that's uh, right, for a couple yeah. of hours where you tried to lose me in the middle of the mountains up at the wind farm but the, two days later I went and bought a gravel bike and I yeah. absolutely love it you mentioned earlier you know you're going a little bit slower on the gravel bike but I think you're working harder even though you're going slower but it's more about the freedom and the adventure that you can have with the gravel bike versus when you go out on your road bike, it always seems like you have to try and hit a certain pace or a certain distance. Whereas on the gravel, it's definitely more about the freedom and the exploration and the expedition even, because you're bringing lots more stuff with you when you're on the gravel bike versus the road bike. Oh, yeah. When I go out on the road bike, you're trying to be as light as possible. When I go out on the gravel bike, I have a little bag there and I'd have sandwiches in it. I have a small little 300 mil flask. People look at you and go like, are you going away for a weekend? You know what I mean? Like, but it's all about like, because there's no cafes out in the mountains. Like, so you have to bring your own cafe with you. And uh, the guys here, they'd be going out with their great bunch of lads and be like watching all them and everything. And like, it's again, like it is actually lovely. There's been times we've been sitting down. It could be pouring rain and we'll be sitting down having a sandwich, having a cup of tea on the side of a mountain, you know, and then get up then, hop on the bike and get going again before you get cold. And, you know, so um, it's a different type of cycling. Yeah, absolutely. So speaking of the cold, talk to me about the Arctic Circle expedition that you went on earlier this year. You were in the final preparation for that when we went out for our little spin. And I remember you saying that. I think the bog trials were on, maybe the Goy Bay bog trials were on and you were deciding not to do them in case you came off the bike, that there was a lot of prep had gone into taking part in this expedition. So tell us a little bit about that and why you signed up to it. So why I signed up. So um, I like to go skiing, right? Like, you know, every year I like to go you know, in a week of skiing, you know. And because of COVID, obviously, I didn't go away for a couple of years. And then even when we were allowed to go away and travel, I didn't want to go skiing because like there'd be huge queues and you know like restrictions and everything that kind of stuff and I, I'm just not going to enjoy it because like it's an expensive week like you know like, you want to be able to enjoy it so I just said I'll just take a break from it you know the company I went with to the Arctic was called Adventure.ie they're, they're up in Wicklow and uh, my girlfriend Sarah kind of had a bit of a contact with them before in a job that she used to work in before and I was kind of looking at their website and I seen they do this Arctic uh, Arctic Circle expedition you know and uh you basically take people who are totally green, uh, who have never done anything like this before, and they just bring them out into the Arctic and teach you Arctic skills, winter skills, how to, you know, um, how to cross-country ski, and you're pulling all your gear and all that kind of stuff, you know, and basically how to how to stay out for the night, you know. So I kind of was saying, Do you know what, I might 
I might kind of have a look at this and you know, rang up the man anyway, this fella Ronan, he's the owner of the company and um, he was so lovely on the phone and he told me what it was all about and everything and, I, and coming off the phone, I said, that's it, I'm signing up. So I signed up for it anyway. Again, like anything else, I want to be fit because then like, you know, you're pulling a sled behind you like with all your gear in it and you're moving from point to point and I didn't want to be one holding up the rest of the group. I didn't know what they're going to be like or what experience they had but two, like, you know, when you're fit for something, you'll enjoy it more. You know what I mean? And then I didn't know how how fit I was supposed to be. So, like, if anyone was up in the wind farm there and they seen me, uh, well, if they seen a fella with a harness on them and pulling a tire around the place, you'll know it was me, you know. But basically, I had to strap on a backpack for a bit of weight, put loads of water in it for weight, and I was had a harness on and I'd be pulling a tire. And that was basically just to simulate being able to pull a sledge, you know. Now, I have a woods beside my house as well, and the harness and the tire is there, and I was going around there in the evenings just, you know. But... It was just to build up my fitness and how to pull a, you know, with a weight, you know. The, the guy, like Ronan, was kind of giving us these little updates and kind of saying, okay, a couple of weeks ago, a couple of weeks. And I remember it was like two or three weeks out and he just gave a little update to us. And he goes, any you're into anything, you know, um, like mountain biking right, and that, he goes, maybe take a step back from because, you know, like if you get injured now, you might be ready for it. And, and you know, and it's not as if you can go the following week, like there's a kind of a, a window we can go and that was it like and it was just that that was the week I booked and if you can't go you lose out on a lot of money so yeah I remember there's a couple of races I just took a step back I said no because like especially the a few of the gravel races I mean if you come down there you're going to be hurt you know so um and again like I was kind of saying to myself oh sure I could go out and do it and just go nice and handy you know you know just for the day but then sure like don't you know well a bit of competitiveness or something comes up beside you and you're, you're going to try and pass them so I just said do you know what I'll just not enter them so I literally yeah I was just um I was I was cycling on my own there for a good few weeks because I didn't want to be going with, with groups because there's one thing about cycling your own in the gravel you can control as much as you can you know but when the, when you're in a group you can't control the rest of the group really like so um yeah I was doing my own thing for um a good few weeks just trying not to get injured and trying to keep the head above water and all that, all that you know so that's kind of why anyway I um I signed up for it and yeah and you were there to witness me going out for a handy day spin on the on the bike it certainly was um a handy Monday morning spin. Talk us through like what a typical day was out on the expedition. It was six days, wasn't it? It was eight days in total. Like it was a day getting there, a day coming back. So we say, but we're like six days on the snow. So um, you fly to a, a little place. It's 150 kilometers north of the Arctic Circle up in Finland. And um, you basically picked up by the owner of the company out there. And, and then he basically brings out to a cabin and a beautiful timber cabin or log kind of cabin in the middle. It's in the middle of the woods and there's no one around. I think the nearest house was like 20K away or something like that, like, you know, but beautiful cabin in the middle of nowhere, but, but there's no electricity, no running water. There's a river behind, running behind the uh, the cabin, probably 20 meters behind the cabin. Uh, and that's where you get your fresh water from. But I mean, that river is frozen over now. So I'll tell you how we get, we'll get our water. But basically we land there at nighttime. You land at night, it's pitch black, no electricity. So you're going around head torches straight away and you're just, you're going in, finding your bed, getting set up. And then he gives you a bit of a brief in the area and that kind of stuff. Your your toilets are these eco-loos, which is outside about 100 meters from the building and how to use them in the middle of the night and all this kind of stuff and and the safety. And then he brought us down to the river to show us the river. Now the river is frozen over. There's about a half a meter of ice on top of this river. So like, you're not going to break through the ice. You, you can walk on it but there's half meter ice but then there's another half meter of snow then on top of that then as well so like you kind of have to kind of there's a path shoveled out onto the river where you go out into the middle of it and there was a hole then in, in the middle of the river where we'd have to get our our water from so um every morning then you'd go down we were kind of with three teams it was like a water team a fire team and a cooking team so like we say if you're on the water team your day was 
every morning you go down to the river and with a big like iron bar, like like a crowbar for the world, you'd break the ice in the river and make enough of a hole you know, for your bucket of water and just pailing out buckets of water and bring it up to the house because that's your drinking water for the day and and cooking and stuff. Now we had the luxury of having another little cabin beside ours and it was a sauna because now Finland is the home of saunas. You'd load up this big, what we used to call a cauldron, massive thing of water in the in the sauna and have it ready for the sauna You know, at the end of the day. The fire team then is going around and they have to load up all the firewood. So we had a log cabin, another log cabin with a load of firewoods. They're just drawing a load of timber over and having having timber left beside every fire because we had a couple of stoves inside in the cabin and stuff. And then we obviously had a fire inside in the sauna. And the food team then was, they'd basically be in the kitchen helping the chef, you know, setting the table, washing up kind of all the all the prep that goes with all the dinners and stuff, you know. So every morning we'd have breakfast, maybe eight o'clock in the morning. All them jobs are done, obviously, first. Then you have your breakfast. And the guy then gives us a bit of a brief what we're going to be doing. So the first day, like, we all went out and we put on skis. And, uh, like, I had a little bit of skiing kind of background, you know, like, but the, but it's a totally different type of skiing. Like, it was downhill I would have done, which is like, you know, you're going over, getting a ski lift up to the top of the mountain, ski down. That's what I was on. But cross-country skiing is totally different. It's, you're literally, it's like the cross-training in the gym. You're using every muscle, like, you're using your combination, your arms, your hands arms legs kind of combination you know to move forward you know and um you have to be good kind of balance as well because you're shifting your weight back and over from ski to ski and took a bit of mastering right like but we say like we were probably a day or two uh learn how to ski first but they brought us out into these beautiful areas like and you will not travel over there without skis or snowshoes because there's like two meters of snow underneath you and it's like a bowl of sugar if you take off your ski you're going to fall straight to the bottom and so you have to leave your skis on you even if you fall over do not take off your skis you have to, you have to manage to get yourself up without and it was just you're just trudging through deep deep snow so even even on your skis the snow is up well up over your knees and you're just trudging through like you're making kind of tracks so the person up the front is breaking it and then everyone else has come behind you so you're kind of rotating around and all that but beautiful areas were brought into and like it was relatively flat with small hills like but nothing uh, nothing major you know so then once we had them kind of the skiing a little bit kind of mastered then we say uh the next day then we brought out all the pucks they call it. it was like a little sled so the puck then was like um for the first day we just threw in our backpacks just for a bit of weight but uh and learn how to pull them but they're like it's a big long harness coming off it so you have to learn how to like if you're going through the all the woods and forests you can't just go any old way because you have to you have to remember like you're pulling like a trailer behind you so you have to take these wide sweeping turns and going through trees and the guy behind you might be helping you as well but he's you know like moving the sled and stuff but it was all about getting to learn how all that but now as well as that it's it's hard work the big things you're trying not to do is you're managing your perspiration and that's something we learned about on the first night and like the thing is you do not want to sweat because if you sweat that's fine like in every other you know, when we're down here, but if you sweat up in the Arctic and then you stop, that'll freeze like straight away. And if it's freezing your skin, you could develop hypothermia. So it's a case of like, you're managing your perspiration the whole time. So even though you're trudging through and it's hard work and everything, it's all about like having the right layers. So depending on the temperature and stuff, like, you know, you kind of, it's a kind of, there's no rule of thumb for everybody. Everybody's different, you know? So I'm the kind of person, I do run hot. Like I sweat. So I know myself that I was wearing less layers than a lot of other people, you know? So then you, you have to manage yourself, like, you know, so it was a case of like, you're opening up zips, let the air in and let the sweat out, we'll say, you know, um, I had the time I was managing by, I'd have a hat on, I could be taking the hat on, off, on, off. Cause like 
40% of your heat will go to the top of your head. So I was letting the heat out to the top of my head. Like that's the way I was doing, you know. And I haven't got much hair to keep it in anyway. So it was, it was an easy way of letting the heat out. But um, yeah, like to be, like we learned this off the guy, you know, how to manage. And like, there's literally, there is no fast rule. You have, you have to learn yourself, like, you know. So if you if you think you're sweating, you either slow down or take off layers and you're just basically hold up everybody and just say, look, at, uh, you know, uh, the rule of thumb we have over there. Um, if you see something, say something. And if you think there's something wrong with you, don't go holding it in saying, oh, no, I'm fine, I'm fine. Because conditions change very quickly over there. And you might think, oh, look, I don't want to be sweaty. But when you stop, and we had a prime example, one of the guys was bulking in sweat one day. And I said, John, take off your T-shirt. And he took off the T-shirt. And within seconds, it was frozen. And you could lift it up like a board. You could just hold it horizontal. That was the thing, like, you know, you, you had to be very, very careful. So it was all like, you know, like layering properly and how to wear the right clothes and all that kind of stuff. But the end objective was to be able to stay out and camp out for 24 hours in the Arctic. So like every day we'd be coming back in to a cabin. So like, you know, like worst case scenario for bucket and sweat or whatever like you know we weren't now we have our emergency clothes and everything all that kind of stuff you know with us and we'd have like emergency food and the things if things went wrong but we would always come back to the cabin every night so like you were learning your lessons you know when you're coming back and you're able to change your clothes and all that kind of stuff but the thing was we were trying to be getting it right we've got five days to try and get it right because on the sixth day when we leave the cabin we're gone for 24 hours until we come back then and we're going a fair distance you know so like the kind of distance that when you're and you're out there, you're a good bit away from home, you know. Uh, every night then we'd always come back and we kind of have a bit of a recap, a bit of a debrief, how the day went what's, and what's coming up the next day. Now, as I said, the sauna, we had the luxury that we had a separate building of the sauna. So every evening, whoever's in the fire team would go down straight away, light the fire, heat up the sauna, you know. And it was heating up all this hot water. So at least we were just going down and we were, we were down there little buckets and pails and we used to be basically all having a wash inside in the sauna as well as having a sauna and then going out and jumping into freezing snow and everything. Oh, look, it was brilliant crack. I, I, you know, I don't want to ruin the surprise if somebody else wants to go on the trip, like, but it was absolutely brilliant crack and everything. Lovely bunch of people, you know, from all walks of life, which is like everything you go into, like every sport you go into, there's always someone from every walks of life, but it, you know, a great kind of group. We all clicked. None of us knew each other and we all just clicked straight away, you know, um, and it's probably actually a good thing that none of us knew each other either as well because like if there was you know everyone would be staying in groups and all that kind of stuff so then the last day came and the night before we the, the guide was just doing a bit of a group kind of talk and giving us a, a little bit of prep what's coming up and he basically puts a list up on he, he basically then kind of goes right you've learned all the skills now he said right now you have to put them to use and he put a list up on the on a door on a whiteboard this is what we need to have packed i'm not going to check in this so this is up to you to pack all this gear and have all this gear because if you don't have this i won't have a spare one he said so it's up to you, you know, to have a do it he was i also have to elect uh, expedition leader and tomorrow he's going to lead G's and it, he's going to be in charge so he goes I'm going to walk away now and I'll come back in a few minutes and you have to elect a leader and before he got up they just went uh, I elect Gabriel and then it was like I second I second they all seconded and I was like oh Jesus so anyway so I got to lead it I was kind of pulled aside then with him and basically given a map and a compass because he knew I was I was only after joining and going mountain rescue so he knew I had a bit of map skills and kind of navigation skills so um, he more or less gave me a brief of this is where we're going this is what we're doing tomorrow and i was like grand yeah but sure like i was kind of going yes yeah grand yeah fine this is this is handy you know sure like he's going to be there like he's going to be in the background anyway so like it's there was no no big deal you know but the next morning anyway got up anyway and but i had to make sure everybody had all their stuff like it's a massive list of stuff make sure everyone all these things packed away and everything and food and water and all that you know and uh we got going and i remember like we had to like leave the cabin he was saying he said right guys i'm hoping to be leaving here around 11 or 12 tomorrow and i said no we're leaving at 11 that's it there's no point saying 12 because if if you say 12 it will be 12 no no 11 that's it and like so i was going i, I was playing hardball from the start that's it we're leaving at 11 o'clock guys so we hit off anyway and we were out the door 11 o'clock gone packed and we hit off we're about i'd say a couple hundred meters into it and uh next thing he landed over to me 
the, the guide with a radio and he goes you need this because uh, I'm off he said if you've any any trouble you give me buzz on the radio and we just done a radio check to see if they're working and he just put an X in the map and he goes that's the rendezvous he said I'll see you there and it was a case of like navigate to it up till now I've only navigated out in mountains where you can you know you can use your rivers and cliffs and crags and different things you know, you know and now you're out in like in a forest but there's snow deep snow and everything but like there's rivers and different things but the rivers are covered over it's snow so like you have to kind of say well I suppose the river's over there because there's no trees there you know like and you have to like basically follow and not go on the river it's the one thing he told me is just do not go on the river even though the rivers are frozen sometimes at the edges of the river are actually the more vulnerable parts because the ice is actually thinner at the edge where it meets land so that you can crack and fall through there you know so anyway he basically let me lead it and it was a case of there's one thing about me kind of getting to the rendezvous with the x on the map but it's getting everyone else there as well you kind of have to split the team then we're all going along in a line basically to follow each other so i wanted to kind of have good people at the back kind of protect the people you know because like you know who the weaker are and who the stronger are and that kind of stuff but now everyone had the everybody had their strength and weaknesses of different things so like when you know come to we say the cooking or this and this, you know they were the, the other people you know we got at that but we say when it comes to like trudging through snow and making tracks and that kind of stuff I knew well I'm up front navigating so myself and this other fellow we were kind of the same kind of ability when it say and we were just basically breaking tracks breaking snow and everyone else come behind there was two other members from Mayo Mountain Rescue on the thing that I just happened to meet over there and there were two hardy women now and they've got good heads in them and I, and I said I'll keep them at the back because they can keep I say at the back and in the middle and they can keep the track of people because they've got they have a wealth of experience as well you know and then there was a guard in our thing and I, I, I left the guard at the back it's always good to have a guard at the back of the group anyway he was keeping nine things as well but um, so like that we met our way along anyway and every now and again the man had obviously touch in the radio and he'd say everything okay and I was like, I was like yeah grand and kept moving along anyway and uh, he go and then he was asking for an estimated time to be there and like, you know, all this and stuff. But now, in my head, I was like, he has to be nearby. Like, he's not going to leave me out in the middle of the Arctic on my own, you know. So, was, you know, but anyway, like he did. He actually let us out a fair, like, if anything did happen, they were going to be a good while getting to us. You know what I mean? You know, and again, I'm the only one with the radio. So if that happened to me or I dropped the radio in the snow, like that was, you know, you're you're in trouble. But I mean, they weren't a million miles away, but they were enough to be away if it if that had happened, we'd be dealing with ourselves, you know. But anyway, we got to the point and it was great. And next new man came along and he said um, in the nine years he's doing that trip, we were the second group he felt confident in actually letting off on their own, he said, you know. Because we had a good we had a good group, like, you know, as I said, like, I have a little bit of a head on my shoulders. The guard has a good sturdy head. The two girls from Mayo Mountain Rescue, they were, you know, like, well able to go as well, you know. So, so between all of us, like half the group there and there, like, was able to able to manage ourselves. So we just had to manage the other half. Then, you know, I loved it. I loved that end of it because I was watching everyone, like, just, you know, like, observing everyone. And, you know, if I seen like one of the guys was sweating, I was like, look, at, you know, because they were doing their own thing. They might actually... They might realize they're sweating, but I, you know, I would see it. So, like, you're kind of looking at that, and but you're also watching things like, you know, hypothermia, like, you know, like, no, again, we weren't going down that, we weren't near it, but again, you don't know, like, if if someone is doing some kind of doing something, and you kind of say he's a bit confused there, you know, that they're the signs of it, you know, and you're kind of watching those kind of signs, or even hunger, people will forget to drink and people forget to eat. Maybe it's just a thing for like doing like cycle races and stuff. Like, we're so used to Joanne, just no one to drink, no one to eat, or you know, or we might say we drink every half an hour, drink, you know, so people might go hours over there without drinking, not even realizing they're thirsty. You, you know what I mean? It's kind of, it's kind of funny. The thing, oh, I'm not thirsty. It's not hot, you know, but like you actually need to drink a lot over there. So like that, I was stopping people for regular breaks, take a drink, eat, nibble on something, you know, it's better to be eating a little bit all the time than having a big, massive meal at the end of the day, you know? So it was great just to manage the team. Yeah. So we got there and we had a, we got to the camp and then setting up a camp then, ah, oh, look, it was, it was just, again, I don't want to spoil it for anyone who ever wants to go there, but it was just absolutely magic. We're on the side of a lake. Now this lake looking out, which was huge 
massive it looked like a plateau of snow like we were out and out on the lake you know we set up camp and then we had to do our cooking but again cooking then it's not as easy as you think it's like we have a small stove trying to boil water you can only carry so much water so you're melting snow within to make more water but this snow was so little moisture in it because it's so dry up there like you're you're melting like buckets and buckets of snow just to make enough for a glass of water you you couldn't believe how much snow so you didn't gas canisters and if they get freezing cold they won't work so you're literally having a gas canister inside in your top like literally on my belly to keep warm and then next to the flame go out and you're swapping canisters putting that one into your top you're you're just rotating gas canisters just to get the gas going just to keep melting snow you know and if you're able to build a fire it'd be a different story like but we're not going to build the fire in the snow because you have to dig down two meters to get to the ground before you you know we were just using gas for our um our cooking and stuff but like that we to carry on all our food and water and then you've all that done but then you have to melt more snow for your breakfast the following day and another liter of water for your you know your drinking water the next day or or another two liters of water each so we're just melting snow like there was there was all these kind of tasks you had to do. And like, if you don't do them, you won't be able to do it the next day, you know? Um, so it was brilliant. It was great. And it was a case of like, when I rocked into camp, it was like, right, give everyone the instructions to go, go, go. And do you know what? And I think triathlon has kind of helped me with that. Like, as in our transitions, when we come into a transition, like, and we've all these things to do, like, you know, there's a certain order and there's a certain, there's a certain way you do things that will work better, you know? Like, there's no point to doing something before, you, you know, putting the cart before the horse. Like, so, like like that, I had my, as I was making my way into camp, I knew these are the things we have to do, you know? So I was like, obviously, put up your tents first, you know, and all that, like, and, because at least then, if, if if weather turns, you can all jump into your tents, you know? But, um, like, it was a case of all these different things that kind of, and, uh, and it just went well. And, and your man actually came back and he said, listen, fair play to you, you're the, you're the, you're the second group we ever taught we could let off on their own and you know you did well you know so it was a great trip i will say it was a great trip and uh yeah i i came home with great memories you know and um lovely bunch of friends after it yeah uh, you're so animated when you're talking about it i know the listeners won't be able to see your facial expressions or your hand movement but just to see the animation in your face and and your body language on camera when you're talking about it and um, would you ever consider becoming a tour guide or a tour leader with these guys is it something that you would potentially look at seeing as though you had such a good experience is that something that might be on the cards do you know what i'd love it i'd love to go back to this fella and say hey look at i'll go to there for a week and uh you know you don't even have to pay me you know like i'd really go on a trial i'd i i, I would absolutely love it and like literally go as a donkey for him basically carrying stuff and everything but you know yourself you've probably seen me on days out with the beginners on the on the bike and stuff like you know i like taking groups out like you know like and again if you have a little bit of knowledge it's good to pass it on so yeah absolutely i'd love to do a bit of guide work again you know like that you know if if it ever came up you know yeah yeah and if you were to pick one highlight of the trip, what would it be? It's definitely the last day. Like, and I suppose to be in, like, I suppose when I say in charge, like, you know, like I wasn't a drill master, but like, you know, probably being the one that was, that was in charge of it was probably the highlight. Because I suppose if I was at the back of the group in the middle of the group, I suppose I might be a bit critical. Like, oh, geez, you know, if someone else was doing it, you know, I'd be kind of going, oh, do you know, maybe I'd be pulling, you know, putting holes in his, his methods, you know, whatever. Like, whereas at least it was my, it was me or nothing, you know? And I get, no, I said to him at the start, I said, Look, guys, like I've never done this before. Pull me aside and rein my horns in if I'm saying something that I shouldn't be doing. You know what I mean? Like, you know, but they didn't. I had a little bit of assertiveness, but I wasn't I wasn't a drill sergeant with a meter, you know. Like at the end of the day, like I didn't want to be bossing, like, but I also want to do things right, you know. So that was kind of the highlight that everything went well. Hindsight, it would have been actually kind of, I would say, a great another bit of a great story. If something little bit wrong went and we had to resolve it. Like, you know, I'm not saying fall into a frozen river and have, you know, but like maybe if there was something, even if someone, if their leg got into the river and we had to like just 
get them up and taken off layers and redress and all that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? If there was just something that was out of the ordinary, but it just went so, so well. Now, maybe because I prepared well, but you know what I mean? But I would have liked maybe if there was a little bit more kind of grit or something that we would have had to literally pull out a rope or something or, do, you know, use the training we had learned and put more into practice. That, you know, yeah. like we had all these kind of worst case scenarios kind of ready for in case it happens. But I maybe, kind of would have liked, maybe uh, the fact that you were so well prepared is why everything seemed so normal versus somebody like me or some random person off the street who might never have done anything like this. It might have been so far out of their comfort zones. But because you're so used to, you know, Galway Mountain Rescue, the triathlon, all the experience you already had was like a culmination of being able to deliver the expedition leaders activity for that 24 hours. Yeah, I mean, I, I suppose like I, I wasn't nervous about it because the thing is, like, I kind of thought like, you know what, I've enough now. And like, obviously, I was only there for a couple of days. So like, anything I learned was fresh in my head, you know, if I went back now, maybe it could be a different story. But yeah, like, it was, it was fresh in my head. So like, you know, and up till now, like, things don't phase me too much. I've noticed there has been times when things happen and I just react to it. And I just do it, you know, like, I kind of switch on to these, you know, just certain things might happen, whatever, you know, and whereas I do notice other people might step back. Now, it'll probably get me into trouble someday, but I do always step forward, you know, so, yeah. Okay, moving quickly on to your cycling adventure over the past couple of weeks. That's the next bit we want to talk to. I definitely think there's more we could talk about with regards to the expedition, but I am conscious of time. And I do want to find out a bit more about the Velo route because um, Steph Carr from Cycling Connect and from Galway Tri Club and Galway Bay Cycling Club is actually on the route at the moment. I think she's um, almost finished her trek, but you spent... Five and a half weeks away, four and a half weeks of those cycling, an average of 100 kilometers a day. And you were on various fellow routes across Europe. Why? So I got the opportunity to get a bit of time off work. And uh, like I was kind of like, and I knew this was coming up and I was kind of going, do you know what? Now I'll do something like, you know, there's been so many times like over the years, you kind of go, oh, I'd love to do that. I'd love to do this, love to do that. You know, like, but I was kind of like, when will I ever get a month off or when will I get a, get, you know, like normally I, I'd only have a week or two weeks off, you know, rarely have two weeks off actually in, in one block, but I was kind of, I had a bit of time off and I said, do you know what? Now I'll do something. I was kind of looking at things like, well, I walked Camino or I like, do this or that, whatever. And then I was like, hang on a second. No, I love cycling. I'll do something cycling. Just looking at Facebook groups there of people doing kind of all um all the bike packing kind of stuff and everything. I kind of went, I go bike packing. Literally there uh, last year, I basically got a couple of bike bags and stuff, put them onto the bike, and I did a bit of a, a recce just to see how the bags work out and that kind of stuff. And I got the train to Dublin, cycled kind of onto the Royal Canal, and the Royal Canal goes all the way to Longford, undisturbed, like. You, you can cycle the whole way and not see a car it's brilliant so I literally just I basically cycled to Longford in two days kind of went down halfway and put up the tent camped the night brought my little stove oh yeah the thing is I I wanted to test out the stove as well and see how it is to cook a meal and all this kind of stuff you know so I had this had me food anyway and then get up in the morning had breakfast got going again and ended up in Longford the next day you know and then I was kind of going oh I have to cycle now all the way from Longford back to Galway and I kind of went you know what now this route is lovely. So I just turned around and I'm back the way I came and made my way back to Dublin again and then I got the train home. So that kind of had the seed in my head, right? The bike works, the gear works, the stove works. I know how to eat and all that kind of stuff whenever I'll survive. And I said, when I finish work now there now in a couple of months, I'm going to hit off and do a big trip. So that's when I just kind of started looking what's abroad, you know? Um, and it's, you know, it's obviously nice to go abroad as well because the weather can be nicer as well and, and you can go further and stuff. So the Eurovelo, there's, I just saw these signs, like there's loads of signs in Ireland and the Eurovelo 1 passes through Ireland. It goes down all along the West Coast, you could say. And like the Eurovelo 1, it starts at the north of Norway, comes down along the coast of Norway, it goes over Scotland into Ireland and then goes down through France and Portugal and stuff. So I was kind of going, do you know what? Now I'll, I'll do that. So I literally was 
looking at the maps and stuff and I was like looking at all these different routes and I didn't know how far I would be cycling a day. I didn't know what the terrain would be like. Would it be hills? Would it be this or that? You know. So I just said, just play everything by ear. So I had nothing booked. The only thing I booked was I booked the ferry from Ringeskiddy in Cork over to Roscoff. So I finished up work and the following week, I literally just ha- had a week of just saying goodbye to everyone and then uh, and get the bike ready and all that kind of stuff. I literally, I packed my bags. I put the panniers onto, onto the bike, basically put all my gear, sleeping bag, tent and a bit of food and clothes. And I went as minimal as I could. So I had one set of cycling gear and another set you know like you know as the spare set i had one change of clothes and a spare set that was it you know like so, so i kept it really really minimum like you know and then just hit off got the ferry to uh i got the ferry to roscoff got off that morning there was two of the lads on the ferry as well that were cycling who cycled on like me but they were going in opposite direction so that was it i was on my own and uh totally played it by ear didn't know how far i was going to be cycling a day or that so i didn't know how far i'd be going so there's no there's no kind of booking anthem so like you're just hitting off cycling just enjoying the scenery not knowing where you're going to stop for the night. So I just hit off the first day, tipped along. I think I did maybe 80 or 90k the first day. But again, like, you know, it was nice and handy cycling. No, you've all day to do it. So you're not going fast. You know, like you're, I think I used to be doing an average of like 16, 17, 18 kilometers an hour. That was the kind of, the, the, the pace you're doing. It's a slow pace. You're looking and you're looking and you're touring, you know. So um, I followed the Eurovelo one. And that basically then uh, was bringing me kind of right down hidden south through France but like you basically go into campsites and you just rock up and just say like again and I've no French like literally just a couple of words rock up and just say you want to stay the night and uh, the campsites will always make space for you now first of all it was the kids weren't on holidays yet so it wasn't peak season yet this was the month of May so there was always space but um, even if campsites are are busy they'll always make space for all the all the cycle tourists because we take up so little space like it's not like we're a camper van or a caravan you know and it's kind of a rule of thumb they look after the hikers and cyclers they'll always kind of squeeze you in somewhere you know and they're so lovely you know they're very accommodating because that's their business all these campsites so um and they are everywhere like if you are following the Eurovelo route there is campsites dotted all along the way so um it's very easy to, you know, to find a place to stay, you know. So the first day, I, I think I'd done 80, 90K, whatever, maybe. Then the next day, I was doing, you know, and I kept going along. But I, I, as I found then, I was like, 100K was kind of a nice kind of distance to do every day. Because you're stopping in between as well. And like you're going to a lovely town, the villages, having lunch, and, you know, kind of, you want to see the sights as well, you know. But um, after four days, anyway, that was the Eurovelo one over. Then I just seen a sign for Eurovelo six, which takes you eastwards in through France. And I followed the the Loire River and it was lovely. You're following this river and you're going through these beautiful towns and there's chateaus every couple of miles all along. And then you're going through all the wineries and stuff. And it's it's just, it's breathtaking. Like I'm overloaded with how much I've seen. You know, like when I look back, I can't even, like, you know, it's hard to put a place of where I was. I was just getting so much in. Like every tur- every corner you turned, something new, something. That w- it was just all inspiring all along the way, you know. So I kept going anyway until I got to the German-Swiss border. I was on the Rhine River then. So I literally went into Switzerland for like 20 minutes just to say I cycled in Switzerland. I came back out and then I followed the Rhine River north and just got up along the river then made my way up along and uh, it was, you're now, the Rhine River splits basically France and Germany. So you're kind of going back and over between the two borders along the way. But you're going up, you're just going north and you're going into a place like Strasbourg and I basically made my way up to Cologne. Now meanwhile, my girlfriend Sarah rang me, I was probably gone maybe two weeks this stage and she was saying that she had a bit of time off coming up and I'll come over for a bit of a break in the middle sometime. And we just looked and it was, it was literally going to be like 
15 days time so I was like right so she didn't know where I was going to be in 15 days time so I said I'll go away and I'll have a rough idea so I had to go away and I, and look I was doing 100 kilometers a day so where will I be in 1500 kilometers so I basically plotted a route on the phone you know and I kind of went right I'll be in Belgium so she basically met me in Belgium then actually 15 days later so I kind of went up to Cologne and went over to Eindhoven Antwerp onto the Netherlands coast and then I was coming down along the north coast of the Netherlands into Belgium then I met Sarah then for literally five days she met her at the train station we just booked an apartment for a few days the bike was left in the corner and we did all the sightseeing stuff we went like kind of on day trips to Bruges and Ghent and all these places and done a bit of kind of a bit of sightseeing it was lovely and we and we had a beach holiday then another another day as well because the weather was lovely you know and uh, and she left in I had a week to get down uh, as far as the ferry again and it just got so tough because now on the north coast of France it's hills there was a storm it was 40 kilometer an hour winds coming headwinds all day long for a couple of days so it was really hard days and i was like i remember just going what am i doing so, you know up to this point for like weeks up to this point it was lovely you know like i mean there was hard days like but it was just, you know it was grand but now i'm just like i was like what am i doing you know but um next to the storm passed anyway the sun came out again and in the last couple of days and last three or four days were absolutely lovely and it, it, it just i'm glad the bad days weren't at the end do you know but i just had some glorious days in coming down on the coast and i basically made my way back in then i just got on the ferry again and 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 uh made my way home so like it it's very easy to get down to the ferry like i got the city link down to the airport and i cycled down to the ferry and then and the same home then but i'm going to do a few cycling trips down in cork myself again like just kind of a couple of small ones like a few have asked me like oh was it was a daunting going off and i was kind of going no it wasn't so maybe the things just don't phase me that much either but it actually wasn't really because of this facebook group that it's like cycle touring and backpacking this kind of facebook group. i asked a few questions before i left and i just followed a question like how easy is, is it to get a camp spot and everyone's like it's really easy you just rock up that's it so once i heard that from somebody i was like okay that's it that's just rock up i was kind of wondering like oh well i get food easy there's loads of places to get food along the way and like france cuisine goes hand in hand so it's very easy to it's very easy to you know eat out if you want or whatever that like i made the decision i'm only going to be doing kind of breakfast myself and i'll just get lunch in a shop or whatever along the way and i'll eat i'll you know like every night then i just have a pizza or something because it's a lot more food to be carrying and all that kind of stuff if you're going to be uh, doing your own cooking. So I just kind of just had breakfast. So I said porridge, porridge, maybe eggs, maybe a cup of coffee in the morning and then hit off and get going. And after that, then I just go into bakeries and get bread, fruit, you name it, all along the way. And yeah, so it, it's 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 so easy to do it. So while I was doing it, our friend Steph was texting me like, and she was getting info and I was sitting in the back to her all the info and I was kind of saying, yeah, no, this is, this is really cool. Because again, it was daunting for her to go off on her own as well, you know. But no, I would tell anybody who was thinking about it, go off in a group, go off on your own. The beauty about going on your own is you do your own thing your own timing you're tired you stop you're thirsty you're stop, you know whatever like, you know you, you know whereas you're with a group you, you know you're you can only go as far as the weakest person you know like you know the weakest link you know kind of you know i, I shouldn't say weakest link but you know what i mean it was great like i could do my own thing like there was days there like when i say i was doing 100k a day like, that was the average over overall like the longest day i was 140k or something you know now it was a hard day i would say like it was you know but in the case it was like i was on my own so i didn't have to listen to anybody else complaining about myself do you know and you're carrying a lot of weight like you know so it's not like you know like just going for 140k on a, a road bike you're going on a gravel bike on on kind of towpaths and stuff like in like your greenway type things and there was hills and wind and everything you know so like it, it it's harder cycling because like you're carrying these big bags and stuff with you it was easier to do it on your own i would find and i would advise anyone to do it on your own and you'll meet people along the way then you know that's what i was going to say um you obviously will meet people along the way as well that are doing a similar route even if it's only for 20k of 100k that you're doing that company there for 20k is probably a nice distraction to uh, to get you going yeah yeah like this like i know 
I remember the first week I found that everyone was going the opposite direction. I was saying loads of people going the opposite direction. I was like, why is everyone going the opposite direction to me? You know. But then I got into a part then where I was like, okay, now there was there's so many people. Like everyone is out on their bikes, and yeah, you be going long and to be every nationality you can think of. You, you know, you will come across these people like and all walks of life. And like people, there was a guy I was talking to. He was a French Canadian guy, and he said he goes, I don't know what you do for a living. He says, but I work hard to be able to take a bit of time off. And he just was taking time off and just. He was just hitting off on the bike and he was just doing his own thing, just a bit of a break from work and break from everything. And like, you know, really colorful characters, interesting characters you meet along the way, you know. And then the next day you could be going the opposite direction. The question I want to ask you actually is, um, how do you prepare for taking on a mammoth uh, trek like that? 3,200 kilometers is not to be sneezed at or doing an average of 100k a day is quite a lot. So I know you had a lot of fitness, you have a lot of endurance in general and your biking has gotten stronger but still it's a it's a lot of cycling to do over the period of time that you did it yeah even myself I was kind of like kind of going how how will I you know I didn't know like even starting how long will I take you know or um will I go till I take a bit of a break or a day off or a rest day or you know, that kind of stuff because like I've only ever gone on this like on a cycling holiday and you might do five or six days in a row like now I'm going to be doing like 30 odd days in a row you know I kind of had in my head, and you know what? It was literally, it, w- it was kind of like back to the training in the Arctic. I'm going to try and cycle it without sweating. That was my kind of my thing, like, you know, as in like, try and cycle it without putting on mad pressure. Now, of course, there was hot days. I mean, it was in the high 20s and 30s, you know, or it was, I think the hottest day was 30 degrees. So I was looking off it's hotter now if you were over there now. But like, you know, sun's going to make a sweat. I was trying not to put on too much effort that I was just going to be chipping away all day you know I didn't want to be out of breath any day because I mean there's no way you'll be able to do that like I mean unless you're in the Tour de France you're not going to be out of breath all day long you know so I was just going tipping along and you're taking in the views and all that kind of you know. so I knew well I can do that grand but I just found actually you know that I was getting stronger every day like I remember like you know after a week I was kind of like you know like you'd be tired and evens and all that kind of stuff the following week I wasn't half as tired and I was putting in even harder days because I was just getting it was like as if every day you were training for the next day do you know like your legs just got used to it like and they really did and it was like as if like 100k was nothing like it literally was it felt like nothing because like again as someone said you just have to get up and cycle you know like so every morning i used to wake up it used to take me from when i'd wake up to when i'd be on the bike two hours because i used to get up and it was literally like a transition get up have breakfast then you just you just go brush your teeth and then it was a case of like right pack all the things put it away and all that stuff repack the bike and go and like that used to take two hours every morning and I was on the bike and like the thing is that was it once you're cycling like you're and now the beauty about it is you're starting lovely and warm like I used to be starting half eight nine o'clock in the morning it was already 18 19 20 degrees so like your muscles are warm starting off and that made it so much easier because I did notice the last week it was cooler coming down the north of France now it was that bit cooler in the mornings it was that bit harder to get it was a bit harder getting going I remember I used to actually put into a low gear and just spin the legs for you know maybe 20 minutes just to get the legs warmed up before I'd start putting on a bit of pressure you know but it was easier to do it in the in the sun and the same thing like but again like when i stop every evening and go to a campsite i had a little routine and it's a case of get into the campsite pull up my tent get all that done then i do stretches i would easily be like 20 minutes on the ground rolling around doing stretches and all that kind of stuff and the thing is i knew i i had to do that to have my legs nice and fresh for the next day because if not, the, you, you, your legs get tighter and tighter as you're going on. And eventually, it's like pulling an elastic. Eventually, it's going to break. So, like, I knew, well, I'll do my stretches and all that kind of stuff. I used to be doing my stretches while putting up the tent because I wanted to combine everything. I used to be eating then, right? I mean, if anyone's looking at me, like, you know, it's good to eat straight away coming off the bike. So, I'd always have a bit of food as well there, like maybe a roll or a banana or something, you know. I used to be eating while doing stretches. So, I would literally be, like, 
I'd be standing up and I'd be I'd be bent over eating a roll and like I was stretching my calves, I was stretching my quads, you know, and that's what I was doing. I'd be like lying on the ground eating my roll. I was just combining all these things to get them done nice and quick, you know. And then the next thing was shower. You have to get clean. So I was like straight into the showers, then into the into the sinks in, wash all your gear and hang it out to dry. I was putting up a line every day, trying to have the gear washed and dry because the thing is like you don't have wet gear the next day. Now the beauty butters was, was great drying over there. Two or three hours your gear was dry. But if it wasn't I had a spare set and that was my routine and it just worked like, it, it, you know, as I said, and like throughout the evenings, like, you know, if I went uptown to get a pizza, I'd be in the pizzeria and I literally would be standing on one leg, stretching my quad and I was just stretching my muscles and everything, maintaining the legs all along, you know, and I found it just worked for me. That was it. And I, I had no niggles or any that kind of stuff. So, um, but I did find when, when, when the weather was about 10 degrees cooler in, in, in the north of France coming down. I, there was days like I feel the quads getting a bit tight. So what I was doing was like while I was freewheeling down a hill, I was usually stretching my quads or be stretching my calf muscles off the pedals of the bike. That's what I was doing, you know. And like that kept me going. I was able to get like while I was cycling, I was actually stretching muscles. And yeah, you just have to just get up every day and just cycle your bike. So it, it's kind of a simple life when you break it down. You cycle your bike, get to destination, and then you go through all these steps to get your your camp ready and then you know and again it took me a few days to get my little routine like i knew what i had to do four or five days i had a nail down and that was it like i said this works for me you know and it was great i had my tint up before others and people would be faffling around their poles and things like i'd have done like transitions and stuff you get your task in hand and i had a little kind of um as i said like your routine like i wasn't putting the car before the horse i was doing what had to be done first and you know yeah so that anyway kept me going anyway and uh, it, it it just got easier and easier because i knew what i what i had to do you know and if you look back on the adventure, what would you do differently if you were to go do another cycling adventure like that again? In planning it, I just looked at the map of France and kind of like Germany and all this. And I was kind of saying, oh, sure, I'll go down here, across here, up here, whatever, you know. If I was to do it again, what I learned was prevailing winds. And I'm there going like, I, I should have known this. So like I had headwinds, say most of it, when I was going inland, the winds are coming one way, but the north to France, the winds are going the other way. And if I planned it, I would have done it the opposite way around. So I did more or less an anti-clockwise kind of circle. If I'd done a clockwise, I would have been home 10 days earlier nearly. I know, but I mean, like, it would have been much easier, but I'd probably look into conditions more, whereas I wasn't then. I just wanted to get out and you know, go cycling. Um, other than that, do you know what? Nothing much else. Like, the winds just slowed me down and made it a couple of days harder there at the end whatever but other than that i wouldn't change an awful lot you know i actually got the gear pretty much spot on like as you know like i was saying i wasn't cooking any dinners because i should just like go to a pizzeria or a, a restaurant give it a pass at night whatever you know and just getting like i was just eating nice and simple meals nothing major i brought two emergency meals with me just in case i couldn't get meals along the way and i got it to a tea i used one of them after a week i arrived in a campsite one night in the middle of nowhere and there was nowhere to eat so i was like okay grand i'll eat my emergency dinner and the last night i needed to use a meal so i couldn't have planned it any better i actually used my last emergency meal on the last night now i could have cycled down to the town but the campsite was up on a hill now a fair climb up to it and i said if i go cycling down to the town that's going to fly down i'm not going cycling up that hill again on a belly full of pizza you know um and again i'd have to be going for another shower and like you know what i mean i, I said no do you know what i'll just i'll eat my emergency meal i've been carrying this around my bag now for the last month i'll eat it so like things just went well maybe i planned for things i didn't realize you know but it just went well for me you know the way it was you know i wouldn't change too much really uh I'll be honest. But I am looking forward to going again, you know, exploring, maybe going to Germany, Netherlands, because it's 
it just you cannot get over how easy it is to cycle over there. Like you'd be coming up to junctions and cars are just hitting you across, and you know, like you come up to roundabouts because the cycle lanes everywhere and they're just all over the place, and it just makes it so safe. Like I went through big cities, most of your cycling's out in the countryside, but now and again you have to come into a city and then go out to the far side of it. Cheney Mac, you go into Galway there or anywhere like that, and like you're you need three heads looking around yourself obviously cycling around the place you know and you'd have to have fair good bike handling skills to cycle around Galway but I mean I went through big cities with a lot of traffic with panniers the bike I was three times as wide as myself you know like big panniers and stuff and heavy bike and no bother because there's some bike lanes are safe everyone's so courteous it's so safe it's it's you couldn't get over how good it was you know it's so designed for cyclists if anyone was had any inkling in going over they don't have to do a month they could go for a week go somewhere you know I would be onto them and I'd be telling them how easy it is to do it and it's not as daunting as they would think you know I've got one final question for you where do you think has this passion for sport and adventure and outdoors and everything come from has it been brewing for a long time or is it just something that came upon you once you kind of got the bug for triathlon and then suddenly saw freedom and adventure as a way of life you said freedom there like it is freedom. You know yourself. And freedom doesn't have to be extreme. You can go for a walk in the prom and that's freedom. And that's, you stand the prom there in Galway any day of the year and like how many people are walking the prom and that's their freedom, you know. And I do it too. I might just go a little bit further and I go hiking in the mountains. Now again, with going mountain rescue, you have to be fit. So there will days, I, I'm going out on my own and I'm going out for long days on my own. I'm talking like, you know, six, eight hours just going through high hills, a lot of climbing and stuff. And again, trying to learn skills on the way and stuff, maintaining, not trying to be sweating much and all that kind of stuff, keeping myself fit. But that's my freedom, you know? My mind goes a million miles away. And it could be, it could be anything. I'd be, you know, I'd really need to have a dictaphone or a notebook to be writing down the things, you know. I could be thinking about anyone, my family members, friends, past family members, you know, like, uh, you know, you'd be, you'd, be, you'd be thinking about everything, Anthony, and that's just my freedom. That's the way I kind of get out and do it, you know. And like, whether it's on a bike or walking or swimming, swimming, like, there's no talking and swimming, but like, I'll go off there and I could be swimming away and sure, you could look back in your watch there and you see the speed you were swimming and you go, geez, I kind of slowed down there. But like, and it wasn't nothing to do with current, it's because I was thinking about something and I probably nearly stopped, nearly, I probably nearly stopped swimming, you know. But like that now the main the main thing will be freedom joanne no it is it is it really is and and again like it doesn't have to be anything as i said extreme or anything that but it is it's lovely to get out and just get out in the air and get out and about you know well i think that's a great motto to live by get out in the air get out and get your freedom and uh gabriel walsh thank you so much for joining me on the podcast i'm looking forward to part two now joanne when we're doing volume two of this yeah yeah i'm not sure what we'll cover in part two we definitely will find something you know for all the time i've known you i've learned so much more about you about the the stuff you've been up to and it's it's fascinating here's to the next adventure yeah i'll have to go planning i'll have to go plotting the next one i don't know what it's going to be but i will go planning though thanks for tuning in i hope you enjoyed this episode you can get in touch with any feedback or guest suggestions by emailing me on trytalkingsport at gmail.com You can follow all of our activities and podcasts on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn and Instagram. Pop by, say hi, let me know what you think of the show. If you're new to Try Talking Sport, please do check out some of our previous episodes. You will be impressed and inspired by our guests. And don't forget to tell your friends about the show as well. That would be awesome. Finally, be sure to sign up to our e-zine featuring articles of interest, some great discounts and the inside track on supporting your triathlon and endurance sport journey wherever it may take you. Sign up on www.trytalkingsport.com. It takes 30 seconds. And as always, I promise I won't bombard your inbox with emails. Just the cool stuff. Until next time, stay safe, keep smiling, and remember to look for fun and adventure in every day. Oh, 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 oh